Hey everybody, welcome back. It's a goodlifebabe.com. Jeff and Joel's Tales from New Orleans. Hey folks, welcome back. It's a goodlifebabe.com. Jeff and Joel's Tales from New Orleans. Everybody's having trouble speaking. This time around, folks, we got with us today David Lee Simmons of PopSmartNola.com, and uh, who's a local writer and journalist, and uh, he's going to be joining us. We're going to be talking about a, a variety of different uh, topics that are uh, that are currently impacting our city, like we always do, and uh, right. and and we're going to talk a little bit about uh, festivals that are coming up because the festival season is on us, and. Uh, and and to get things started, uh, we just want to talk to Dave. Maybe you could introduce yourself and uh, tell us a little bit about uh, your background and uh, what you're doing these days. Well, I uh, first of all, thanks for having me. Uh, I, I moved to New Orleans in 1998 to become the arts and entertainment editor for Gambit Weekly. Became the managing editor of the paper after Hurricane Katrina. Moved away for a few years. Uh, was in arts journalism up in Atlanta with my wife, my now wife. And then we returned to New Orleans in 2013. Uh, I became an entertainment reporter for NOLA.com. And now I've got my own website, also a radio show on WHIV, both of the same name, Pop Smart NOLA, where I cover, uh, for lack of a better way to put it, some of the, the cultural issues and stories that both I like to cover and also trying to fill in gaps sometimes that I see that are in the current journalism landscape. What's kind of hot right now? Any topics uh, in particular? Well, the thing that I find hot is how arts and culture and culture are playing out kind of at the same time in this, for lack of a better way to put it again, is the new New Orleans. And you see some of the same issues affecting the arts and the entertainment worlds that you see affecting other New Orleanians. And so on my show, I try and tie the two, the two together to show that arts and entertainment doesn't act either as just an economic engine for the tourism industry, nor does it kind of operate in its own vacuum. The same housing right. issues, the same health issues that affect everyday New Orleanians impact on the culture bearers, whether it's Mardi Gras Indians or buskers yeah. or burlesque performers or musicians. So the economy, gentrification, yeah. all these things. Exactly, right. housing is huge, gentrification is huge, and just everyday rights and everyday lifestyles are very much impacted by this, this new world we're living in, which is high rent. Uh, we are kind of being nickel and dimed, I feel, at times. And for people who move here and fall in love with the city, whether as part of the recovery or the usual reasons to move here as an artisan or, sure. a, or a performer, um, you really kind of feel those same burdens. I think sometimes we thought about the entertainment community or the cultural community as kind of a separate population. They're very much dealing with some of the same things that the middle class and lower middle classes are dealing with in sure. New Orleans. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And what, what kind of issues right now do you think are on people's weighing on people's minds? I think that affecting their well, lives? one of the first shows that I did on Pop Smart Nola was oh the uh, enrollment period for the Affordable Health Care Act is coming up. I wonder how New Orleans performers, who many of whom are using Obamacare, what do, what do they need to know about in terms of signing up? Well. Next thing you know, Trump became president, which surprised everybody. And so everybody in New Orleans and Louisiana were freaking out because of Medicaid expansion and how they were getting enrolled. They were really worried about losing their coverage. So health care became a huge issue sure. over the last few months. Well, now, may or may not have dodged a bullet. But health care is such a big deal for people in this town yep. where services are hard to come by, access to quality, health, access to quality and affordable health care is tough. I think that um, so many people that I've, I'll, I'll tell you a trend, and I, I, I don't mean to mock, but one of the things that I noticed when I came back was right away, um, I know we like to joke about the side hustle in New Orleans, but things like Uber and Airbnb became such a big deal after I moved here. And you saw a lot of people who are in the arts and entertainment and the performance community. But also another sure. thing, which I really was surprised by, the more I learned about the people who I was either getting to know who had moved after I left, or people who had just moved in, or even people I'd known before, it felt like, and I'm not trying to be silly, but it seemed like every other person was a tour guide. Right. And I think that tour guides for years were kind of a cultural punching bag in the city. Um, certainly it's easy to kind of be somewhat annoyed by the myriad tours that kind of envelop the French Quarter. Mm -hmm. But the more I got to realize who was becoming a tour guide, I've stopped being snarky about it, became kind of sympathetic, but 
because of the incessant drumbeat for tourism dollars, tours are a natural outgrowth of that or the need for tours. And also, this is how a lot of people make a buck. I don't know their motivations for becoming tour guides. Some of them, they really wanted to learn about New Orleans history in one way or another. But, but you're right, that's side hustle. That's, that's there are so many tour guides. And these are like, if I were to name names, not name names, but that you can see them on the street. There are some really talented people who do tour, who do tours. And again, I don't, I, I don't mean to disparage the tour guide industry, but it surprised me to see how many people were doing it now. But right. I guess when, yeah. on any given night in the French Quarter, you see that there are a lot of tours. Well, yeah. I, that's probably like a direct symptom of the 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 pressures of higher rent and higher housing costs and, yeah. and whatnot in the city. It's just everyone is looking for and some additional money coming yeah. from somewhere yeah. and from some of the other things that we talked about before we hit record, right. um, like uh, the increasing fees and fines and things like that that are coming from, from the mayor's office. Right. You know? So I, for me, there's, there's, just a, there's a lot of different angles from where the, the pressure is well, going. And, and Jeff, you were saying, and again, this was before, but I cut you off so we could start recording because we didn't really get David's response. But why right. don't you revisit, like, you're talking about just the issue of having a car in the city. Yeah, that's a fascinating And monetization. Well, well, well <laughs> just, just to talk about uh, a little background on that is that in the past couple of days, one thing is that I'm trying to sell this car, right? Right, right. And an idea that I have because, like, like right, right now, I'm having some issues with my business uh, with Lost Love Lounge, right? I won't go into details, all right? Okay. But it's affected my income, all right? Mm -hmm. And and so I'm one of these people who's looking for, like, either side hustles. permanent employment or a permanent side hustle, whatever you want right. to call it, right? right. And the Uber thing, uh, you know, is starts to look attractive after a while right. when you talk to a couple of, of the drivers. And um, so in New Orleans, you have to have a car that's 2008 and newer. Right, that's right. one of the requirements that mm -hmm. they put on it. That, that's fine, right? That's about average, you know, in terms of uh, the United States and the city requirements. <clears throat> but um, anyway, but one one thing that happened was that it was like, well, okay, maybe uh, it's not about making extra money. Maybe there's ways to save <laughs> a good bit of money right. too. Fair right? point. Fair and point. Uh, and so then I then I started to consider as I was repairing the car, which I've done a lot of re recently. Mm -hmm. uh, this car share thing came up, and we were talking about it two days ago, and it right, was I, I because brought I, it up, right? Yeah, you brought it up, and I had rented a car because I had to go to the North Shore see my folks, and I rented a car from Enterprise. And you may know this, I'm not sure that Enterprise was the only company in town that was right. running a car share thing, right? Right. And so then both of he and I were like, well, that's great. Because makes complete sense. It makes complete sense right. because it's a small town. Mm -hmm. New Orleans is one of those cities where people have uh, repopulated the city are, are, and, and with a population of people who want to live in the city, that don't want to commute, that want to live right. near to where they work. This is the ultimate live-work-play type town. <laughs> yeah, oh. right, exactly, exactly. So it makes sense for here, right? right. And... So I'm like, well, and let's, bike sharing. Well, let's yeah, and bike sharing, right? Because exactly. that came up the other day as well. And, and we're, we're like, we're... let's sign up for this thing. So Joel signs up, right. and then he immediately gets an email that says, "Oh, we're pulling out of New Orleans." Right. And, and, so, I, and I was and, telling and, him, and this I'm... stuff has been going on in other cities for years exactly. and years, and this is such an optimum location what was for the that rationale? kind of stuff. What was the, what was the they haven't given one. They have, right? It was just a but, rote email like but, he, and, we're, we're pulling out. And look, and look, this is just hearsay and an observation on my point, but right. I have so much experience from owning the bar and dealing with like decisions by City Hall, whether it's the council or permitting. whether it's the mayor, permitting, um, neighborhood groups, and seeing how that stuff operates in the city of New Orleans, that it right. begins to have a thumbprint. Right when and you can almost kind of recognize it. So one of the first things that happened when uh, when we started investigating the enterprise rideshare thing was like, let's look. Where are the locations where you can pick up the car? Right. Because you have a card. You go. You swipe the card somehow at the yeah. car. It's got a device, and then it unlocks the car for you. Right. Now it's like a bicycle, basic bicycle basic share. like the bi bicycle share. Right. But right. it's a car. Right? right. And so you pay eight dollars an hour to use the car. The gas is paid for. Blah blah blah. 
right? You're insured, so the car's insured? Everything is no, taken care insured. of. You the don't car have to be is insured. insured. You don't okay. have to be insured. Anything. All you have to do is pay the fee. Okay. How, how great is this? The $40 a year <laughs> makes fee. Makes too much sense. The $40 a year fee is waived by Enterprise for the first year. Right. right, and all you have to do is pay forty dollars, and any time you want to use the car, it's eight dollars an hour. They want to get your business, so they'll or sixty nine dollars a day. Okay, right, right. And what I was telling Jeff, I mean, there there are some of our listeners around the country right now that are probably like jackasses. Most cities have had this for the last fifteen years, right? But that's right. the point, exactly. And that why and does no? I mean, I was I was taking. We only I, have I this a, one option. I was a Zipcar right. member in Portland in two thousand one. I didn't have to have a car. In no one. You know, in two thousand stone ages of that. I know, stuff. I know. And it right? worked. It was and it great. worked, and it, it worked, and it's great. So, what's your sub- suspicion about why it doesn't take hold in this town? Well, the the thumbprint is that when you saw the locations of where the ha- where the cars were being kept, it's all in these incredibly inconvenient areas in the middle of the CBD. Now, why you would have all three of the downtown service. Uh, parking lots or wherever they reside, right. they're all within a stone's throw of each other and they're all in the CBD. And getting right. there is a challenge. Under it's itself. a challenge because right. like, who's going to use this? It's going to be people who, who bike commute, people who walk commute, people who uh, use public transportation, right? Mm-hmm. Who mm-hmm. just, who need a car. Right. So, you know, it seems logical that striking a deal with the RV park at the end of the Greenway, you know, would be a great place to have oh, yeah. some of those right perfect you know but it's all in these places that are really remote and difficult to access for the people even for tourists who might want to use it who are staying in the french quarter this is one of the worst parts of the city to drive in one of the worst parts of the city to drive in i think all of that stuff there's a couple blocks there's a couple blocks around whole foods are up there on on magazine like they're right right true but those two but I, you know, I also think like Zipcar, Flexcar, and those other, and Car2Go or the other services um, around the country, they have to strike a deal with the city. And I think this is to your point. They're looking for cities that are willing, because they don't use parking lots. They use uh, parking spaces, right? So, for example, the Zipcars of the world, they have dedicated parking spaces throughout the city that they lease from the city, and then they pay the city for that, and then no one else can park there without getting towed. And as right. a user, you don't have to worry about you have to that car always lives in that spot car to go on the other hand uh you can park the car anywhere in the city metered or not you don't have to pay for the meter but the city gets reimbursed but it takes really good progressive coordination with the city to work and i just don't have any faith in our municipal leaders to let us have the good things that the brooklands and the portlands and the austins and even like the boise idaho's all the even the Birmingham, Alabama's, like all the little hip cities, there all the good things are happening that make life easier. The bike sharing, the why? car sharing. Why? Do one you think one, that's one could see one could see this that there's a rationale on Enterprise's part because they certainly have a hand in the placement of the automobiles. If we're still talking about that, like okay, we want to we want to place it somewhere near hospital complex, you know, because we think we're going to get business off of that. Somewhere near the tourist hub because we think we're going to get business off of that. Okay, right. but but in my understanding of these things, a, a certain very large part of the pie chart of use is simply local, and that's the appeal of the car share thing. Yeah, <laughs> well, right. typical of New Orleans, right? Suddenly, outside of the CBD, you can see problems with having the stuff located in the French Quarter. Yeah. For obvious neighborhood group reasons, in right. the Marini, for obvious neighborhood group reasons, in Mid City, for the same reasons. I was, and so, and then I look at it and I go back to the thumbprint, right? Right. W- right where right. do we not have neighborhood groups in the city, in the CBD? <laughs> so they go, they go, they go. We don't have any trouble here to no one's start this, and nobody's going to do this. But it's also a recipe for failure because you need that big part of the convenience aspect of it because nobody wants to go that far and into that much trouble in order to get the car you want to go up gentilly boulevard and get it and go down here so you're concerned that there's a little bit of a nimby thing going on with certain neighborhoods where they just don't want a rideshare spot we're just nimby to death in this town we 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 are and and we we don't have progressive elements in the the nimby 
wavelength. Well, that's you coming know, up with this just, bike share thing, right? Right, right, and that translates into the bike share thing, which is like now, you know, because I got onto this next door app. I don't yeah. know if you you know about this. Right? I was very you know, active. In, in, I was very active in, in Atlanta with our next. Oh, door. you were. It was okay, very helpful. Okay. Yeah. All right. 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 And look, I should preface it by saying that, like, I mean, I'm kind of notoriously known as anti-neighborhood group, but that's because I'm a business owner and I got picked on, you know, right. so, uh, but, but I'm, I don't, I don't take away the positive aspects that uh, neighborhood groups have done. I mean, certainly Agreed. they contributed uh, to my own life uh, to a certain degree with the, with the revitalization of the park across the street and for Stallings right here. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, at, at the same time, seemingly more so than anywhere else that I'm aware of, um, the level of power and influence that they have over our public officials and the allowance of uh, uh, an extreme level of pettiness to penetrate almost any issue that you can think of mm -hmm. um, is, is, is really out of control. Okay. <laughs> and, and net, disproportionate and to what they should be. Disproportionate to what they should be at all. And so when I see the car share thing without having the evidence, I'd love to know. Yeah. Um, it seems to have that footprint. And then suddenly with the bike share thing, you know, as usual, the, the bike share planning is at a ex very advanced stage. Implementation is right around the corner mm -hmm. and the neighborhood groups are kicking in the door at the end of all the negotiating. Right. And, all the, and opposing and, and it. There are people who are raising cane about the, about the whole of the placement of it, the per the placement of the locations, and the, what, what? How does that imperil a neighborhood in their mind? Uh, uh, because it's like aesthetically unpleasing. Uh, I mean, name you can name a bunch of them. You know, I mean, there's made up stuff about. You know, it's going to create dangers. You know, or some. I know. Right? Well, you wouldn't want you wouldn't want crime in You're not you're not <laughs> placing it. Uh, in the right spot because it's not about poor people. It's all about tourists. It's further gentrification of the city. And I'm like, it's a, it's bike share. I like it's knocking gentrification share. as much as the next person, but that doesn't seem to, yeah, add up for me. And, and my, this well, should be and has been trying to become one of the most bike friendly cities in the nation. Sure. At a time when you can still sense the, how do I put this? It has not, the, the dreams have kind of gotten ahead of the organic growth of the culture. Like the sure. culture just hasn't gotten it Absolutely. yet. Absolutely. We've created, or we're creating the infrastructure for it. Yeah. But, you know, you don't want to bike across broad. <laughs> you know? Yeah. You're going to get popped by a car. Yeah, I don't want to bike on broad. But you when know, you can't <laughs> feel the, the culture being open when there is an opportunity to make it bike friendly in a fairly... I would love to know, I would love to hear what the, uh, give me a specific complaint from a specific neighborhood because right. when you look at all the other things that are going on, that's some pretty minor. Well, well this is what I can say is that two leaders came on to the next door. Yeah. These are neighborhood leaders in associations that are nearby. Okay. Right. So it wasn't just the gentry, right? You know, it's right. like these are <laughs> these are people who are like who are leading these organizations right. and groups, right? And and we're immediately complaining about the, the the very things that I'm talking about in one of the major corridors that the bike share is planned for, which is off from City Park all the way down Esplanade to the French Quarter. But that's which makes the, sense. that's that's like the Autobahn for bicycles. Exactly. I know, but this is Thank what you. I mean. This is what I mean. That and the Greenway are like the path. Exactly. The the nimbying to death of of you know just having your fingers in every single pie of every idea and I mean you know you might have seen the post that I made today but I'm like yeah. I went to Tulsa, Oklahoma. Tulsa, Oklahoma. <laughs> Who visits Tulsa, Oklahoma? Me. Right, so that my girlfriend can knock Oklahoma off the fifty state list, right? And they had a and 30, shout out to Allegiant Airlines. Allegiant Airlines, couldn't, you know, couldn't go the, see a Thunder game. Forty-five. I would. Yeah. Well, that's down the road a little okay. bit, but you know, a forty-five dollar flight later, yeah. uh, round trip, you know, and we're we're in Tulsa. Tulsa has bike share. Bike share is just a normal part a normal of part ama of, of American cities uh, these days. I know? still don't get the gentrification argument. I get a, I get a, the thing that I love, the thing that we all love about New Orleans, forget about the soul. Let's talk real about why we love New Orleans. For me, it's about the sense of community. I had a sense of community as a hipster doofus before I lived here. I have a sense of community now here as a married father. And 
the thing that connects us and the thing that didn't connect us in Atlanta was being able to move about without stress. Right. <laughs> Atlanta crushed my soul sure. because I couldn't experience the cool micro communities that are around, which people don't realize about Atlanta. So sorry. It was not to. a bike friendly city. It's not a car mm. friendly city. You just stay in your little hood. But in New Orleans, we love, we brag about the ability to go back and forth in our community. And what better way to do that than in hopefully a bike friendly city? So at least in that respect, sure. the, the, the the prevention of community building is freaky to me. Yeah, yeah. yeah and I yeah. would love, I mean, I, I started making fun of like tourists on bike, you know, these, these big bike gangs that come down this plane. But as my wife keeps reminding me, who's a native, she's like, you know, better to have that problem than whatever the alternative was to tourists piling into the French Quarter. Like when you've got people biking our city, no, I going agree. down Esplanade. No, I mean, I love when I, seeing. When, when I, I see them now, I think. Look at uh, what's happening in the city park I'm glad now you're of actually, bikes. Yeah, I'm glad you're actually experiencing the city. Yes, and not just the French Quarter. Well, right. I mean, yeah. and you then you can go to a cemetery instead of riding in a you know 50 person bus, which are you know still around, obviously, but they're not wasting sure. energy. Sure. Yeah. But I will say that I, I feel like the bike tourism has cut into the bus stuff by a great degree. You used to get caught behind those buses a lot more, if I'm remembering On things correctly. Yeah, and they're yeah. like oh, yeah. belching out diesel fuel. Right. And, and so for me, I'm like, okay, on your left. You know, <laughs> no, exactly. coming around, you know, <laughs> big deal. I, I, I like it. I think it's cute. I love that yeah. there's some of them, there's some that are loose. That don't have many restrictions, and they're somewhere they're they're in full on head to toe, right. uh, bright yellow reflective gear. Yeah, right. that's yeah, pretty right. fun. But right. the more right. we right. see ourselves yeah, as, exactly. a bike, as a bicycle friendly, I, I think it's that culture has sort of been. How do I put this politely? I feel like the culture has been sort of forced, in ways that weren't maybe smartly executed, to kind of bring the the people on board a little more organically. It's sort of like, hey, we're going to be a hip bike friendly city. Deal with it. And a lot of locals are like, hey, wait a minute, what? Yeah. So I think the awareness and yeah. bringing along yeah. has yeah. been awkward. It but, has been. But it's getting better all the time. I see bike sharing as a fairly, and again, if it's work, this is where New Orleans exceptionalism doesn't work. Like I love, like I'm, I, I, I got wary the first time around about, you know, only in New Orleans. Like, you know, people breathe there only in New Orleans. <laughs> they don't. You know, they yeah. breathe there in Tulsa. Sure, sure. Um, right. But when you, there's a difference, and we can have a separate conversation about. NIMBY and neighborhood associations and let's say Uber or NIMBY and let's say, of course, short-term rentals, which is a whole other conversation. But when you've got something that has people moving around, whether as locals or visitors, I don't I mean, get it. Yeah, right, right. We're moving, out, we're moving people around and I don't see where the crime comes out of that or the ugliness of it. There are a lot of uglier things that have been going on in this town. I'd say that seeing bike, when I, when I went to DC uh, for the summer, we saw bike. Uh, you see bike sharing spots in DC. You're it's totally, amazing. It's, yeah, yeah, yeah. That that makes all the sense in the world. Like you're Dupont. And there's forty bikes at a time. Like yeah, at exactly. Every metro station, there's forty bikes. And and I right. guess that's sort of right. the point about the CBD for here. You know, the argument is, well, sure, you would want to bike around the CBD fairly easily, but there's so many places in this city that would be great to bike from one place to another. And the Lafitte shows that, Esplanade shows that, but moving to and fro around. The constellation of cool neighborhoods, and you know some places like you mentioned. You know, let's face it: who wants to go to Whole Foods? Like nobody wants to anymore. They feel they have to. Um, but I would rather <laughs> there's obligation Wait, to there's go people, waste my money. Joel, at, Joel wants to go to Whole Foods. No, I hate the Whole Foods on anyway. magazine because of the traffic. This Whole Foods on Broad is the jam. Yeah, I'm just here to say it's very they, easy. They, well, and they've gotten really economical, and that's all. I'll save that for another pod. Cause yeah, Jeff hears me talk about it all the time. It's like in a lot of ways cheaper than Rouse's. Yeah, uh, there are just, things that are that you can offer that aren't so crazy, but bougie that are exactly good to have. right. But, right. but the point being, as you noted, no one wants to bicycle uh, on on Broad, uh, but there are streets and pathways that are making it more accessible, and there's clearly a desire to use bicycles more consistently than ten years ago. So why not facilitate right. that? Right. I'm yeah, like yeah. into the. Yeah. I'm sure Pelicans I'm missing game. some thing that they've brought up that I'm missing, but I just don't get it. No, I think I covered it. But yeah. like I, uh, I, I actually missed one, which is just the raw power equation. Yeah. You know, it's just 
you get this all the time in this town, which is so weird. And I, I when you say joke, law of power, you mean just people ex exerting their authority? To yeah, say, they just like have a kind of like you know this sadistic desire to demonstrate that they have power, and then but so they're they're oppositional they is it part right of, out of the gate. But it's part of that opposition um, process based in that they don't feel like they were approached first for either input or permission, or it's just reflexive ego. Power tripping. Well, I think that those things can, you can have a chicken and the egg argument yeah. because that what you just described always provides a person who has those personality tendencies right. with an excuse, you know, but I, I, in my opinion, it always just, you know, it's a, the, the personality is the fountainhead that causes it in the first place. Right. And uh, so, point. so, uh, and, and most of the time as well. You know, when it all starts with the personality disorder. But look, when the city does things like this, which is like so remarkably innocuous in terms of the footprint mm -hmm. that it takes up, and it's so regularized across the country mm -hmm. these days, a lot of times they don't they don't get into this kind of like neighborhood by neighborhood community right. outreach because the budget just doesn't seem to doesn't allow for it. And they have the community input at the at the city council level right. and they make the announcement and they're like anybody want to come in you got to get in your car and drive down right. here where the car share is so you got to <laughs> take you know which right, right right anyway can't car share because the car share is already it's nearby already but, here. <laughs> <laughs> exactly um uh so so that happened you know okay. what i mean and that's why these guys are coming in on the back end because they're like well we didn't know about this you know because they don't they're not that's not really in the nature of of neighborhood groups. They 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 pick and choose their battles because they they are very resource limited. I will say that, right. you know, and they tend to kind of kangaroo jump around, you know, between issues and focus on one thing and go for it. Right. So this reactionary uh, posturing that happens all the time late in the game it, it happens a lot, you know, okay. when, when it comes to implementation. Gotcha. But um, you know, hopefully. I think it's yeah, an inevitability. I, I'm, I'm sure that it is. I mean, you know. there's going to be a battle. This this will become a reality. Sure. I don't think sure. it's, it, it just makes too much sense. And, there are too many, and bicycles are becoming too prevalent. I like things that make yeah. our lives easier. I mean, it's one of the reasons that and I want to. Yeah, easier and fun. It's, it's, it's utilitarian and it's recreational. It's for the fun shit that happens. Yeah. I mean, I just I just advance. Like the idea, <laughs> I just like the idea of having a backup option. You know, because there's a lot of potholes in New Orleans. Yes. You know, and it's like you get a flat tire and it's like, I really needed my bike for the rest of the day. And I don't have time for this bullshit right now. And right. I need to go and get a bike. And then you have an option. Plus, anytime. The car share thing as well. You know, my car broke down. So I have an option. So I can go and. You know, David, you know, we're a city of people who have visitors. <laughs> right. 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 I mean, if you have the right kind of house. You have visitors nonstop, probably more than you would want, if you have the room to accommodate them. Because right. people love to come to New Orleans. Right. Having a bike share for your friends who are visiting and family that's visiting town, holy cow. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, which is what a nice thing. And I think that there are other visitor issues we should be focusing on. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah like, like, Let's like, pivot to that. like crime and things right. of that nature. Crime. <laughs> bad roads. Maybe bad roads. Short term yeah. rentals that are, we'll see how they're regulated. Sure. Sure. I remain dubious. What, 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 why is that? I, I'd have to get uh, schooled up again on the way the, the regulations were put in place to, to adequately address it, except to say, and I have to say, some of the council members who did vote for it and explained why, um, it almost had an Obamacare vibe about it. It's like, you know, this was, this was the best, worst deal we could cut. Um, we, we need to have some kind of regulation Here's our starting point, and I'm going to be vigilant about it from here. That's a fair point, and frankly, I'll, I'll, I'll name names on that one. The, the council member who said that, unfortunately, is the one who's retiring. I thought Susan Guidry has been a fairly moderating tone on the city council, but she voted for it. I was disappointed that she did, but I appreciated her rationale, which was to say, you know, they are a reality. Sure, there's, there's no way you can right. get rid of or, or completely prevent short-term rentals. You can, as some municipalities are doing, kind of, I hate to say it, fight back a little bit and take right. a little bit more aggressive tone towards Airbnb. And uh, I'm not sure how people feel about VRBO or HomeAway, but there's clearly a lot of ire uh, from places like, uh, if I'm getting my cities right, San Francisco and either Seattle or Portland, 
where they're or, or maybe Chicago, where they're they're literally getting more hard line. Sure. And it felt like our starting point was softer, and as we can all agree, it's going to be harder to enforce. And until we get Airbnb to share their information, which has been the biggest hard line stance they take, well. Right pretending to sound like they want to share their information or they mm. want to be cooperative, the people who I talk to, some of whom I would say are strident <laughs> and a little bit nimbyish uh, in their rhetoric, they say that this is their MO. They come in and they tell you everything you want to hear and they say they want to work with you on the regulations and next thing you know the reality hits and this is where they're at. And it's, it's, I'm, I'm just wary of it. I will give it, you got to give it some benefit of the doubt because you needed some kind of baseline. I just, I don't see how we're going to be able to regulate short-term rentals in a way that's going to keep the type of occupancy happening, to prevent the type of occupancy from having this been a problem. For me, it's hard to, I, I, I appreciate the whole home rental aspect of it because I think that that's, I know for a fact yeah. that when I was purchasing this house, yeah. that outside investors purchasing homes as rental opportunities through Airbnb, whole homes, oh, yeah. was fueling a huge amount of, uh, of the uptick in, in, in sale prices of homes in, right. in New Orleans. It's and, uh, and people were just, they were just devouring parts of the city uh, because the investment class moved in. So well, it was an opportunity. Wait, right? wait, wait, wait. Let, let's not talk about the investment class that moved in. There's a, how do you pronounce the word, Scion, Scion? Mm -hmm. There's a Scion of, a, 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 a realty family who, be, he, he says this in his profile, I'm, I'm their guy. And he manages several, he's their Airbnb, he's, he's the family Airbnb boy. You can, I, I forget <coughs> the name, you can look him up. Look but he manages, mm -hmm. he's the guy you call mm -hmm. for several properties. Yeah, yeah. So we're carpet bagging in our own town sure. and inflating value and driving out, you know, affordable housing or oh. people who want to rent when you're when your own people are doing that like when you talk to somebody who i interviewed for biz new orleans i did a story about short-term rentals you know there's the classic side hustle person who who somehow finagled the financing to buy a double rents out the other side or even just rents out their bedroom for just to make a plug nickel you can't and and as you say i think you're, you're speaking philosophically from a little bit of a libertarian streak is this is my home you should be able to allow me to do what I want with my home. But when you're doing this blanket buying no, properties no. or you're having party houses. I think, I think maybe there's a little misunderstanding. Okay. I'm, I'm glad that I'm not able to. Oh, I, to do a home to, rental? To do a, no, I am. I mean, I could apply for a permit and I yeah. could do 90 days. Yeah. You know, um, that's what you can do with a whole home. Right. You, now, under yeah. the current regulations. Now, that, that is subject to the ability of the city to enforce it. Right. Right. So, right. Uh, but, but I have no plans to do that. I'm not particularly interested in that. Um, I can rent a, a portion of it, a room, if I want to, without, right. without really being subject to any, to any regulations. But I, that part, I'm, I'm more ambivalent about because I'm, I know that there are people who are musicians and artists and performers and you know that mm -hmm. that that makes some extra money off of that, and and right. and I have personal relationships with people who who do that. Yeah, I and, agree. Uh, and I think that that's uh, that's perfectly fine. Right. Um, but I I don't like an extra fake market being created. No, that, um, we agree and, on that. And I think that that I think that that ninety day restriction with the three hundred dollar uh, cost for the I think it's three hundred dollars for the I think so yeah 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 the three hundred bucks and the ninety day restriction it could effectively like destroy that market completely if they, so. if they enforce if it. they enforce but it. they only apparently they only have two people that are that are oh going boy. to be there to enforce how it. many units do we have Jeff I know exactly <laughs> like like two two people enforcing regulations on ten thousand homes would be like really a stretch for an entire year right you know even 5,000, I think, would be like really difficult to do. Right. You'd have to cover many, many in a day and monitor it over and over again. Right. I just don't think the personnel are there. Um, but to your point about uh, locals, you know, when you penetrate the veil, you know, it's like, hey, you know, I went to Tulane, you know, or I went to, uh, <laughs> I went to UNO, you know. Right, right, right. That's the thing that people, I'm glad you mentioned that, man, because... When, when Lawson Lounge was involved, uh, you know, locking horns with the Fulberg Marine Improvement Association, 
<coughs> and and when the uh, the noise ordinance thing was hot and heavy yeah. in New Orleans, um, when you penetrated the veil on that, the person who was financing all of the lawsuits was a Brother Martin graduate. And, 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 and people would continuously come to me or post online and say that repeated mantra of like, if these new people who move here don't like it, they can leave. You would hear that mantra over and over. And I'm like, right. I'm, like I'm sorry. Some of the worst people are born and bred. New Orleanians, right. man. Well, someone had a complaint about Bufas, who was from New Orleans. I, ex exactly. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's like it's it's so so that 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 character, that blanket characterization, really doesn't fly. Yeah. Uh, for me, there aren't there aren't the, the narratives aren't so easy. As we yeah, think yeah, yeah. Exactly. Um, so what else? What what what? Joel, you had something you wanted to talk about? I don't know. <laughs> well, let me look at my. Uh, How we doing? Buck slip. Uh, we got good. We got about twenty more minutes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, listen, um, David. We haven't talked about you know your, uh, you know you you've got that unique New Orleans experience. A lot of people have being a transplant. It sounded like you were what I what is referred to as a nullophile. You were kind of saying or like the only in New Orleans how you were so captivated oh, by yeah. the city. I was in the same. You and I were had a similar narrative. Mm -hmm. um, and then I guess you moved away shortly after Katrina. Can you just about eight months after Katrina, um, both my wife and I, who were dating at the time, she was the managing editor for New Orleans Magazine, and I was the managing editor for Gambit. We, um, I would say, before Katrina, had been looking to move on to like a bit, like just what was the next thing. I'd been the a and &E editor for Gambit for eight years, which to me was, I'd kind of done all I felt like I could do yeah, that's what professionally, I knew, yeah. and I was ready to kind yeah. of move for a bigger challenge. Mm. And so we both, um, I would say there was a little bit of burnout after eight months of, of not necessarily the city, although there was a challenge. Um, our work situations were pretty rough, um, half staff, et cetera. We were in temporary places, both of us. And, uh, but my wife, as we were, this, we were dating, we had just been dating for three or four months, she got a great job offer with the paper in Atlanta. I got exactly the type of job offer I would have wanted before Katrina at Creative Loafing in Atlanta as their arts entertainment editor. And so it just kind of felt like, I, I, I will confess to some, some stalking, I had a good feeling about us as a couple. Yep. And so I kind of figured it, it, it all made sense in, as a whole package. Yeah. Um, but I'm curious about our respective situations. You left before Katrina, I left after Katrina, and you came back after Katrina. I came back after Katrina. Um, it's interesting to live in both cities. It's interesting to live in another major metropolitan city. You lived in one that is like so beloved it's mocked. Right. I live in one that's reviled <laughs> and mocked right. by uh, by New Orleanians, and um, I hated Atlanta the entire time until I left. But it's having a comeback on the national scene. Everyone is in love with Atlanta now. I think Atlanta. Not just because of that. I think fashion. Atlanta is an incredibly underrated city. Yeah. I say that uh, only because in the last year where I was really trying to convince my wife to come back to New Orleans, the great irony was that kind of new urbanism vibe was starting to finally take root in yep. the city in, in many ways a good way, in some ways not. Um, but there were really interesting things happening in the city, and I also came to appreciate the fact that as much as I love New Orleans, Atlanta has some of the top academic institutions in the nation. It has some of the most amazing nonprofits in, yeah. the, in the world, right. as in CARE, Habitat for Humanity. It has one of the great medical schools in the nation. The CDC, it's one of the great seats of the federal government. It's the home of the CDC. Right. Um, it is a brain. People can make fun of Atlanta all you want, but there's one thing you can't deny. It is the brain center of the some, South. Some sort of smart motherfuckers. They are the, I'm sorry, it's I mean, true. I yeah. mean, they move there from all around the South, so they gobble up a lot of the brain power from the South. Yeah. They have international people moving there. Georgia Tech is one of the best engineering schools exactly. in the country. Exactly, yeah, that's right. You just can't deny the brain power. The problem is they just don't have the funk power that, that New Orleans does, but you would be amazed at the creativity that does happen in the well, scenes. The hip hop scene there, the rap scene there has been pretty amazing. I mean, Wonderland, you've got Goody Mob, you've got Outkast. I mean, some of the some of the best hip hop and R&B that's come out of the last 25 yeah. years was Atlanta. Um, it has, a, when I left, it had one of the probably, I, I wouldn't rank it, but it certainly had one of the strongest indie rock scenes yeah. in the nation. And it has, a, has had a fairly strong uh, ongoing singer-songwriter scene. Um, there are some great venues to see music. 
So, but also they had just comp they were just beginning the first leg of a really cool thing called the um, I'm I'm going to flake on the name, but it's a trail, and it is it is a is a is a the Beltline. Okay. And the first quadrant of it was in the southeast quadrant of the city where I lived, which I would brag is the, easily the coolest part of Atlanta, sort of the southeast area, which includes little five points, mm -hmm. East right. Atlanta Village, where we lived outside of. Um, you're just a stone's throw from Decatur, which is a very cool enclave. They call it the Williamsburg of the South, which is gross. Um, <laughs> but to say, why would you want to be that? Yeah, why exactly. Would you well, that kind of feeds into the Atlanta thing. But you know? but like, that but Decatur is also home of the Decatur Book Festival, <coughs> which is one of the five most best attended book festivals in the nation. So, but this but back to the 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 Beltline was this first uh, section of it was a total walking, biking, running path, and. You know, then you're starting to see pop-ups. Bars are starting to reopen, or galleries are opening up in industrial spaces yeah. along the the Beltline. And now it's insane. Like right, actually, right. when it first opened, it was insane. Like you go out on a Saturday, forget about biking, you're walking or you're running because wow. it's just too crazy. There's so many cool things, and so that and you were seeing more public art. You're seeing more public art or public performance of yeah. art, public theater. Um, it's really, you don't get to appreciate that about Atlanta because the common thing is, I drive around so Atlanta, or I hate, or driving into Atlanta is a death wish, and you have to know somebody who's living in a cool place who can be your Sherpa. You know, New Orleans, you supposedly need that. I don't think you need it as much as you used to. Sure. I don't think you need a cool person to hang out in New Orleans like you sure. used to. But in Atlanta, it's just got that horrible mystique about the traffic and the this isolated neighborhoods, which is still in existence, but when you do go to East Atlanta Village or Castleberry Hill, which has probably one of the coolest urban professional enclaves in the nation, um, it's pretty amazing. There's some really cool things to do there. It's also got one of the best restaurant scenes in the nation. Yeah, exactly. I mean, there's, there's all those things. We can't like them because we're Saints fans, which I think is silly. Right. I think we can't like. I think we can like the good things about Atlanta. I, I'm looking I, at Jeff. Yeah. Oh, well, no, well, my cousin, my wife's cousin, my wife's cousin used to ride me for being like they called me a dirty bird. I, just, I wanted to kill him at every wedding. <laughs> at every wedding and funeral, I saw them. I'm I'm embarrassed because I was the one who was like, I'm just not even going to watch the Super Bowl. And for like the true Saints fans, they're like, What are you talking about? You have to root for the New England Patriots. And right. I was like, oh, right. Oh my God, I just can't. I tried to do the, the, the right thing and say, here's why we should cheer for the Atlanta Falcons. And what I thought was one of the most beautifully written Facebook status updates by any human ever. <laughs> and it, 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 I, it, I never should have said a word. It was I read it. it was, oh, I read you, it. I think you commented on yeah, it. Yeah, I probably did. Oh, it was, it was I, I, yeah, it didn't work. <laughs> my uh, my flowery prose, man, they got plucked. Yeah, <laughs> the petals were plucked with yes. every comment. Oh, that's yes. awesome. I, 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 maybe I had one like. Yeah. Oh, I crawled back in my hole and yeah. watched Atlanta choke. Thanks, guys. Exactly. Good on you. <laughs> one of the greatest chokes. <laughs> it is of all time. It's one of the great chokes. That's the one thing that will be remembered about that well, exactly. Super Bowl. Yeah. You know, exactly. people say the greatest comeback. No, it's the I'm saying it's joke. the greatest joke. No, it's the greatest joke of all time. Joke. Yeah. Clearly. Yeah. It's a confluence, but it's a great joke. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but so then, then you guys decided to move back. Yeah. And that was primarily for. I, I would say it was, well, it went back to what I said earlier is um, we have a son. He's uh, probably going to be an only child, and I wanted him to grow up around his family. I wanted him to grow up uh, with his grandmother, who's, yeah. she's 81 now. And I think that. He has what he has done to her is just like amazing. Extended her life, um, but I, but there's I'm part of this weird group of people where the the, the outsider married the native, and the, the, there was like as Chris Rose said, the New Orleans girl. My wife does not fit that easy narrative. She moved away from New Orleans and really kind of wanted to establish her own identity. Sure. I mm -hmm. as soon as I moved to Atlanta, a city, mind you, that growing up in Tallahassee, Florida, everybody wanted to move to, and most yeah. people did. And I thought, well, this makes sense. I'll move to Atlanta. So I've been doing, I was going to do this all along, right? And I just hated it. So I always wanted to come back. And I think that at the end of the day, she moved for reasons of family, for him. And I think that she, she definitely had some homesickness to her. But I really had that, that adoptee uh, homesickness. Exactly. But more to the point, I came in ahead of her by six months because of our job situations. And having come back millions of times, I was very oblivious to how the city was changing, partly because I think that the real serious changes started happening in the two or three years before I returned. 
from around, let's say, 2010 to 2013, I felt like the post-New Orleans of the new New Orleans really started taking root. So I didn't, I just went, you know, where do we go? We go to Arno's. You know, we mm. go, we didn't see the things sure. that were happening mm. on an everyday basis. And you can't really if you're visiting three or four times a year. But when I was there by myself for six months, I started going, man, this is cool. Like, we got all this cool new stuff happening. Mm. And then I started going, well, I don't think that's so cool. <laughs> <laughs> like, like what? Um, well, for one thing, I think it was the second or third visit before I, I returned was seeing that Esplanade had been single lane for the bike path. Right. I, first of all, I just laughed. I was like, in New Orleans did something like this? This is, like, I just could never have imagined them thinking to do that. And it was great. Of course, you heard people whining about oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. the single lane. And I hate it because I come out of um, my mother-in-law's place out of um, Ponce de Leon at that funky intersection with Terranova's and yeah, Seiko's. Yeah. Yeah. And turning left is, you know, why do I do it? Just turn right and go around the bayou. Um, so that sense of a, a more bikeable, friendly city, um, I was really excited about. But in terms of the things that I didn't like, that I, I was, I was first. I, I would hear people whining about and go, "Oh, you're being crotchety." This is cool. To me, it was, and I'll say this now, and I, I, I firmly believe in it: a rampant desire to self-define and self-aggrandize. I'm. I will say this, and you can do what you want with it, people. I'm tired of hearing how great New Orleans is. And I'm tired of hearing how great you think you are as a New Orleanian. I'm just, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm over, sure. and frankly, we're talking about New Orleans, and I'm happy to do it. But as a general Facebooky way, I'm so tired of talking about New Orleans because there's this reflexive desire to love itself. It's gross. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah, before, yeah, yeah. and I hate to sound like a grumpy old man, but before you could love New Orleans, and you could just, I could look at you, Jeff, at a bar and go, "What's up?" New Orleans, right, right? Yeah, yeah, New Orleans, yeah. am I right? Sure. You without, shrug your shoulders. Without, like, yeah. hey, man, <laughs> have yeah, a beer. Yeah. But yeah. everybody has to encapsulate all these cool things about being New Orleans, which they're, and it is. But I'm tired of hearing about it. Well, it used and, to be unspoken that it was unspoken. Right. That you didn't try to define or describe it. Stop trying so hard. Do you remember so that? <laughs> you Do you remember when so the hard. only in New Orleans things was yeah. openly... It's an indescribable thing. Don't try. I never say only in New Orleans. I would, I would ask somebody to punch me in the face if I ever... I, I, I make observations that I see in the city, and that's fine. Like, if you see right. a, a kooky moment, let that moment kind of explain itself. Sure. But if I hear you say, only in New Orleans, I'm, like, I'm going to defriend you, like, right now. But that... I'll and, say it to myself. Like, the sinkhole yeah. that happens, like, there's a, there's the truck waiting in the chase bank line two cars behind and a sinkhole happens and the truck collapses. Sure, sure. Right. I'm like, maybe only in New Orleans and America, only city in America. Right. I don't know. The sinkhole took out the SUV and the Chase banking line. Maybe more concrete than that <laughs> was, uh, and sort of building, hopefully in a deeper expansion of that thought, was we talk about festival season. Um, I feel like we're entertaining ourselves to death. And while I would huh. never criticize, I, was just ask you about that. I would never yeah. criticize any one festival. I think it's we were already a city in a state of festivals. We're known for that. And I think it's great to celebrate our culture. Yeah. Oftentimes, yeah. festivals grew out of a sort of organic, raw, authentic, right. native yes. thing yes. about the city. And now it does. I mean, I know it's kind of a, already a tired trope, but we do seem to look for reasons to both have a festival and to costume. And to look at how great we are. And the, the narcissism of social media clearly inflames that. But I just feel like, um, again, I, maybe I'm being a hypocrite because I can't carry the thought through enough. But I can't fault a festival for existing. But the cumulative vibe of it is overwhelming to me to the point where I don't want to go to any festival just because I'm tired of hearing about festivals. Right. Like, yeah. I mean... Uh. If I, how much of course, there's a snowball festival. How much of it, David, do you think is social media related? Is it thirty percent, sixty percent? I can't put a number on it, but I think that social media, for one thing, social media has done some amazing things for the city, its culture, and its arts and culture. Because you, I don't think you'd see the burlesque. Uh, scene, the music scene, the stand, the comedy scene in this town. Oh, yeah, definitely. None of those things would have right. the vibrance without social media sure. bringing people here because people can network and visit and tour totally. through here. Yeah, it's the greatest free advertising yeah. that you can buy. And I think in some ways, um, social media has helped, as I alluded to earlier, can help people be better visitors 
or, or I would say savvier visitors if they want to be, they don't really need the buddy to, to guide them, which actually was a charming thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I guess my point is, really, this is my, my, my key concern. We, we still have terrible crime. We still have serious education issues. We have amazing racial inequity and inequality in the city. We have racism in the city. We have horrible job employment situations. We have low-paying jobs. We have incredible housing crises. But really, we just love talking about how great New Orleans is and celebrating our kookiness and going to festivals. Yeah. And I, I just worry, and if I, sound, I hate to sound self-righteous, I feel like we're entertaining ourselves to death, we're amusing ourselves to death. Well, you take your eye off reality. Yeah. You know? I mean, I'm one of those people looking for a job in New Orleans, having lived in Portland for a while, and most recently in D.C. And, um, and it's bleak out there <laughs> in terms of job opportunities, you know? And, I, and it's just, Yes, and, I do. And, yeah, I'm, and Jeff knows as well, and you do as well, David. And, um, and then... It hasn't gotten very much better. Right. Then, but, but you mean, know, we got the Tremay Crab Fest this weekend. I'm not there for the food. I, I know, I know, I know, and that seems to be that. And I'm that, excited. I was talking. I was texting you know, my friends the, about it. And it's Monday. an engine. I can't fault you know, that it no, generates no. something. Right? Yeah, I like it. Look, I mean, my whole that thing never-ending whirlpool that just kind of sucks you in and keeps spitting you out and sucking you in again. Like but I, I question my own is, hatred of it, though. I'm going to the Louisiana. No, so do I. So do I. Because I mean, there. Are, I, yeah. I was, you know, telling a, a friend today, like how. I mean, about the car share thing, you know, that I'm just like, it's just impossible to understand sometimes some of the negative aspects of New Orleans because they're so wildly different than other places in the world, not even just confined to the United States. The, right. the, the inability to implement basic updates <laughs> in, the, right. in the city is, uh, is just it's perplexing beyond anything but we can do so that many you things can rationally so well. understand. Right. You like, know? Look, like, how many cities could have taken the NBA All-Star game on a six-month notice? That's an amazing point. And that's then also a point. And it do is. it during carnival I know, season. I know, but that is, that, that's, that, that, that's an outgrowth of our, of the party thing, is that we right. have this, <laughs> we're good. We, we have this, put on a party. We have this <laughs> flexible infrastructure that's like, that no one else has. I mean, yeah. you, you see, I remember years ago in Seattle or Philly, I forget which one, they were like, we're going to have a Mardi Gras now, and it erupted into riots, you know, and it's like, it's just not going to happen in, in New Orleans that way. But certainly, to your point, mm -hmm. uh, David, that uh, there's these horrific things that happen around Mardi Gras every year that you can't ignore either, you know. Or so. we say, but like somebody was explaining the carnival season, it was one of, I won't say who, it was one of the old line historian types, and he was like, hey, except for what happened in Endymion, I mean, I know that's a big except, <laughs> but it was still a great, it was one of the best carnival seasons of all time, I'm like, except uh, for the Endymion car crash? <laughs> that's kind of a big deal. That's right. Yeah. It was such yeah. a horrible thing that people have been disfigured from. Well, other than that, it was a great carnival season. That was a hard one to digest. There was a shooting on the route, but oh, it was a great carnival season. Yeah. I wish, I just wish we put things in better um, context and perspective and not be so giddy about ourselves and the city and just be a little bit more. I don't mean to, God knows I don't want to be a party pooper, but let's take it's a little like, bit more, literally and figuratively, more sober yeah, um, yeah, uh, yeah. account of the city and where it's at. I feel your point yeah. on that. I, I, mean, I have I mixed feelings about it. Because I like, the reason yeah. I asked about the social media thing is because I'm struggling to establish, reestablish a life here in the city uh, in a professional way, yeah. but not in a cultural sort of, you know, uh, a cultural way and right. in terms of just the culture that's there to to be a part of or to observe yeah some spectrum of being a part of or observing right and i know you know i know that my weekend will be louisiana derby on saturday you know one of the premier race uh horse racing events in the country yeah that the winner goes on to the kentucky derby and then i know i'll go to super sunday indians on bayou st john yeah. on sunday and then the, sure. the second line Downtown, and then Treme Crab Fest. The Treme Fest for the free rebirth and the free lost ramblers. And but I'm not on social media, so I'm not. But I just text my friends who are, I think about it. I always think about just 
oh, what's going on next weekend? And for me, that's kind of the reason that I love living here. Yeah. Those things are easy to get to. I biked all of them. It's easy to hook up with friends and connect with different people, connect with strangers, go by yourself. Um, that's the reason that I'm just feel like is I could get a good, I could get a job that's that that's equitable to my, it's where I'm at in my professional career and growth right, right now somewhere else. But the reason that I live here is because I want to do those things. Right. Um, I love how easy the city is getting around on the bike and even public transit is better and everything. And, um, but I'm not seeing the celebration. Maybe I'm not, cause I'm not on social media. I'm not seeing a lot of feedback. That's on where a lot of that, that comes. And that's my fault too, as a consumer of social media. I think, you know, you, you, it's sort of like blaming the cell phone for too many phone calls or, or too many texts, you know, technology and, and, and social media are, and can be what you make it. And yeah. I think that social media gives us a slightly skewed perception yeah. of that. I would say I could easily disconnect a little bit more. <laughs> do, you, do you think that when the radio and the telephone were invented that, that these same concerns yes. happened? Totally. Yes. That people were like, oh my God, the narcissism of radio. Yes. And they're listening to radio. And like, or you spend phone, all your telephone. time on the telephone. Right. Right. Yeah, right. there's a great scene in Downton Abbey where like they're 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 grappling with the whole concept of what a phone is. The butler's like, "What the? Why? <laughs> Why does this thing exist in our home? We don't need it. You can just come over and say hi to me." Exactly. Right. So right. I, I do, and and it, it is a yet another cultural moment where we we evolve and, and adjust accordingly. I will say, what well, gets every new generation says is, "This is the biggest one yet, and this is the biggest challenge yet." Mm, sure. Technologically and right, and, and otherwise. Right. Um, I do feel like at, the, at, at some point you have to say there's 24 hours in a day. That's and right. And those hours are just really getting grabbed. And we do have these issues that you speak of that need to be addressed with our crime and education system. And I think the social media does also help with that, too. Oh, of course. I'm not down right, to social media. I want to add one to it as well, because this is something that I think about a lot and don't get that much opportunity to, to voice it, even on social media. Um, just spend a lot of time talking about other goofy stuff, but uh, is it's it's the the decline as I see it of incubator clubs for new musical sounds coming out of New Orleans, mm. Come, but not mm. new musical sounds that are coming from people from the recently arrived, because what we have now is we have people who are the recently arrived who are becoming hit makers out of New Orleans. While also, look, and I'm not... I'm, I know what you're talking about. You get about. what I'm saying? Yeah. I'm, it's not a get off my lawn thing. I'm not saying... But that it's that's, odd. I'm not saying that that's, there's anything wrong with that because the history of the music business has been about people migrating to places and then launching careers. However, New Orleans has never been that place, really, uh, other than one very small era around the time of Fats Domino when right. uh, big scale hit records were being made in New Orleans. Now suddenly we have bands that are, that are predominantly populated by people who didn't grow up in, in New Orleans. Fine. That, that's, and might not have part grown of, up in the scene for very long before they... Before they became famous and maybe don't even live, do, live here now. You know? right. And look, there's not that many examples of it, okay? There's a few, and if you're listening right now, you probably understand who I'm talking about. But it's uh, what I would like to see, and, and unfortunately because of some of the changes in, in city policy and planning and management, is that the incubator clubs that used to be around town a lot serve the purpose of allowing the, uh, the generation of, of new musical thinking, new musical ideas that, ha that have their roots in, in New Orleans culture. And it builds and, on it. And, and, a, and a problem that I'm seeing now is this, is that <clears throat> because New Orleans is a small city and, and the people who are culture bearers, as people like to talk about musicians who are from New Orleans, who come from playing in high school bands up to becoming adults and playing in, in bands and have young bands around town, is that there's so many money-making opportunities now with the bourbon streetification of Frenchman Street in right. particular because there's many musical venues down yeah. there. And what happens is that those, the time that those musicians are spending with other musicians in town, and there's so much cross-pollination in terms of personnel between bands, that they're just spending time and intellectual capital 
on playing to the tourists that come into New Orleans because there's there's just so much there's a lot of money to be made right. and so people aren't aren't playing out in other clubs and inventing new music and so it's kind of to your point how many times can I go and see Rebirth Brass Band in in a lifetime I love Rebirth Brass Band right. I love uh, Dirty Dozen but but those are two bands that are a perfect example of what I'm talking about because they when they started, they started as a result of the exact kind of thing that I'm talking about, that a new innovative right. sound came out of something that came up organically from the streets. Can I make two points on that? Sure. One is, and I, I, not to beat the dead horse, but just the other day I was looking at the music listings at Gambit. Uh, uh, I was trying to come up with a certain idea for my show, and and I, I don't mean to dog anybody in particular, but it was amazing to me the names of the bands and the, the types of musicians that seemed to be playing along almost every club on Frenchman Street and that stretch. It all had some variation of a trad jazz, brass band assimilation. And I mean, I don't, some of those bands I actually really love, um, yeah. but, it, but it all started to be white noise visually over the names that's like, yeah yeah the, the, I, right, I don't want to right. do i don't even want to do the the pretend names because i don't want to be mean but I, I i know that some cool things have actually come out of that scene but i'm gonna kiss up to you for a second but two examples that came to my mind in the time that i lived in new orleans the first time were eggio jubilee and morning 40 federation in my mind both had very obvious references to New Orleans music, but were clearly their own animal. Right. And I'm sure you could find a 2017 corollary to that that doesn't sound anything like a Jubilee or Morning 40. Sure, right. But sure, there was clearly right. an embrace of the culture, but yeah. something that clearly was for a, a younger, whatever, fresher audience. Right. And I would bet a lot of the people who were digging, who dig authentic New Orleans roots music were totally cool with it. Exactly. I right, think they saw right. it as a bastardization of it. I mean, yeah, I yeah, could yeah. think maybe like Tank and the Bangers might be like a, a group that yeah. fits the bill, you know? And also but, one but that grows like, out of the spoken I, I, word I, scene that's very strong here too. So uh, I kind of oh, think okay. that. Good yeah, for them. right, right, she, exactly. I mean, Tank exactly. grew up as a spoken word artist, as you can tell from her, their style. Right, right, There's right. There's a flow. Yeah, exactly. And, I, and, 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 and that's cool. I'd like to see 10 of those, you know what I mean, rather sure. than one, you know, and so that it's like, I mean, the rule because, rather than well, well, no, because seriously, like there was no sound before Dirty Dozen came along and Rebirth that sounded like that, you know, right. there, there was that. And then there's a bunch of bands that followed suit and took up right. that sound and right. expanded on it in their own way. And, uh, and for me, it's always a po been a point of pride in, in New Orleans that it's like, as the city that birthed pop music to the world, right. right? Which it did. It's everything that we think of as pop music in terms yeah. of like the, the first million selling record is a group that came from New Orleans. They originated the you know. And now look, I mean that may that's an oversimplification, okay, in a way. But it well, I it, here's my question. A big part of that, a big part of the of how pop music got got started was here in New Orleans, and I always see it through these cycles, like. Like so, then traditional jazz, and then uh, rock and roll, and then uh, rebirth brass band, and and Dirty Dozen, and then uh, bounce music. You know, I would and also, there's all these cycles, and every time it cycles around, add, it's something new. And I would fresh add Galactic cool. into that mix. Galactic, Galactic was, in the was the, mix the first too, sure. meters. <laughs> funk, yeah. me. The yeah, meters yeah. funk inspired mm. band, and then how many hmm, how many meters e bands? came out yeah. of that. Oh, came yeah. out of Galactic. For sure, it. for Galactic sure. Galactic kicked down the door. No, and, and as they the, as the meters inspired band who totally has their own trip now. Right. And 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 that's a great segue to get back to my original point because if not for Benny's bar, hmm. there's no Galactic. Right. It just wow. doesn't happen. It's true. Wow. That's the truth. Because there was so much that was before my time. This, That's cool. The mentoring and the hanging out and the influence of all that. I mean, well, some of know, those guys were learning to play as they started, and so well, they had that incubator. I mean, and Theral was the singer for right. Michael Ward's band, right? Yeah, Michael Ward and Reward. Right. Michael he was the, he was their singer. Yeah. That's how he got into Galactic. So that's exactly my point. You know, mm -hmm. like like places like that are where it happens. It doesn't happen on Frenchman Street. It right. doesn't because the idea on Frenchman Street and it's 
and it's great. Everybody's got to make a living. It's now to make a buck. Yep. And a few, a few years back, it wasn't. There was some. Right. Inc- there was a lot of incubator activity right. going on. Iris May Tango and da da da. Not to throw back and sound like oh, it was so much better back then, but there was a lot of that stuff going on. One of the coolest stories that I heard as a as a journalist, and I got it from him, and already been told, was John Cleary saying he came and went straight to the Maple Leaf because he wanted to see James Booker. Tom McDermott, same thing. He came from this sure. and said, you need to go see James Booker. Yeah. Um, we have this generation now of kind of baby boomer piano professors who built on that, you know, David That's Torkinowski, right. Tom McDermott, John Cleary. Um, I'm missing a few, but those in my mind are three of the ones who really kind of came up as they're now in their 40s or 50s who built on that. I'm just curious, where are, who are the what's the next generation of piano professors in this town yeah. and that's exactly who's the coolest young yeah. keyboardist right 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 i don't, right. Know. I don't know brian 25 brian coogan you know i i mean i can think of some people but they're not even actually in the age range that you're talking about anymore right you know like most of them are over 30. yeah um it's those it's kinds of those kinds of things. Yeah. I, th- that's the thing. I mean, John Grow is 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 a very cool, you know, Art Neville inspired keyboardist, and he's yeah. he, he's not not as young as he was when I. <laughs> yeah, no, sure. no, none of us are as young as we were before, but exactly. uh, he's about as young as it gets. And yeah. and I think exactly. those are like fundamental questions that you want to answer yeah. when you're talking about continuity across generations, and yeah. and talking about culture bears in New Orleans and the continuation of things. Uh, I'm you seeing, know, I, see I think you need to answer that. And drummers. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah, right. And I think what you see, the two people who blow my mind, the most obvious being is uh, Trombone Shorty. But also, I hope he gets enough credit too, is Corey Henry. Totally. That, sure. that funk Ted is freakish. Yeah. And he's, he, even, he's even, even Corey and Troy are growing up, but they started so young. Yeah. Um, exactly. Yeah, the, there's those two trombone players, and obviously Troy plays trumpet. Exactly. But oh my gosh. That's what you want to see more of. And I, yeah, exactly. And that is uh, encouraging. Yeah. Um, but, I, but, but I think there needs to be more. Yeah. <laughs> that, that's yeah, that's... I'm going to keep an I mean? eye on that for that yeah. like, jazz fest in particular, just watching some of the local acts. I, was, I, was, I don't get out that much anymore, but I went to see George Porter a couple of Mondays ago at the Maple Leaf. And uh, I don't remember the name of the drummer, but he's some, every, everyone else, was, all my friends were super familiar with him. Young drummer. Oh. Uh, it's fucking amazing. Okay, um, and uh, that's all I have for you. <laughs> okay, George Porter Trio. I take your point. <laughs> though. I'm, like, I'm, I'm gonna circle back to your point: is where are the clubs that incubate right. the cool new talent? Yeah, and I didn't. I was like, wow, that's right. We don't. Well, know. They've, they've, we they've, don't go here because this kid's up and coming in this club. Or exactly. That's right. That's right. And used to be able to do that. You right. Know, like, oh my God, I heard that this like this kid is amazing. I'm gonna head down to Donna's and check it out. Yeah. Well, well I mean, I don't have anymore. I made that mental note. I'm going to go back to the Leaf. All the clubs in the Tremere. Anymore, but I'm going to start going on Monday night for George to see that drummer. There you go. So, I, mean, I mean, the old stalwart Maple Leaf is still maybe doing it a little bit. We should come back and do another episode and like give ourselves a homework assignment. Yes. We need to go yeah. out and get out there and find those. Uh, we got people. that. We've got best burgers in town. We got food stuff. We got lots of stuff. That's so right. You yeah. got to be a regular guest, David. If you're not <laughs> yeah, we're gonna have to have you month. back on the on the show. Okay. Uh, but anyway, we're coming to a close here. Yeah. And, uh, so uh, it's a goodlifebabe.com. Jeff and Joel's tales from New Orleans, folks. Yeah. Have uh, a quick quick rope. Uh, another plug for you. Where they where they find you, David? Uh, my website is popsmartnola.com. I call it intelligent coverage of New Orleans culture, and my radio show, Pop Smart Nola airs Fridays from noon to 1 p.m. on WHIV 102.3 FM. And then you can check those shows out later on the website as well. Correct? Absolutely. Yeah, that's uh, cool. SoundCloud.com slash DLS NOLA. If you cool. Google me, I'm sure you can find Any it. social media, Twitter, anybody? anybody At PopSmartNOLA for Instagram. Unfortunately, for uh, I gave up my Twitter handle when I started at NOLA.com because they didn't like my Twitter handle. And when I came back after I got laid off, it gone. De La Salle had stolen it. So I'm no what? longer DLS NOLA. I'm <laughs> DLS NOLA 504. Damn you, De La Damn Salle. Damn you, De La Salle. <laughs> they were smart. So that's right. me on Twitter and Instagram. Yeah, well, check out David's great writer, everybody. Check Thank out you. the website. And uh, seriously, we get, an hour's not enough time with you. We'll do it again if you're awesome. free, when you're free. Um, yeah, that's it. It's goodlifebabe.com. Jeff and Joel's tells from New Orleans. Okay, folks, we'll see you next time. Take care.